Welcome to the lounge, fam. Glad to be back. Hope everyone's doing good. It's almost draft season. The draft is less than one month away. So we're going to continue to talk about prospects up until our rookie drafts. After the rookie draft, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the 2020 dynasty and the 2020 redraft. So... I want to start by saying anybody that takes the time to grind, evaluate the prospects of any rookie draft class, I respect the hell out of you and you deserve all the praise for busting your ass and grinding to provide a resource for gamers to use to help them win, right? And if you're just a listener, you're here for the entertainment, that's awesome as well because that's why... We're here to entertain you, to help you win, and that's what we do. So you can't sit back and you can't knock anybody for spending hours and hours and days and days grinding prospects to help show a picture of what a potential player could become. And there's two sides of evaluating prospects. There's the data side and there's the film side. A lot of people that evaluate players We'll use one of the two methods when evaluating. You know, me on the other hand, I typically use both. I have a data model. I watch a lot of film. I combine the two to ultimately give my projections. But there are some very good evaluators in the fantasy football universe that are very good at data, predictive metrics, and there's very good analysts that just go on film, right? And they call them the film grinders. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to have a few podcasts leading up to the draft where I talked to some very intelligent players in the community that are either on the data side or on the film side. And this first guest that I have in the lounge who's graced me with his presence, and I thank you very much. I appreciate the time. He's coming into the lounge. He's going to talk about data. He's the king of data, in my opinion. Love him to death. You can find him on Twitter at P.A. Howdy. The man, the myth, the legend. Find him, follow him, subscribe, like, whatever you got to do. He's got YouTube channels. While we're talking about that, subscribe to this YouTube channel. Give me a comment, like, follow me. We're going to talk to Peter Howard. We're going to listen to some Hoagie Carmichael. Hope you're ready for that. We're going to drink some Weller's Antique 107. We're going to get you ready for your fantasy drafts. Much love to all the grinders out there. Much love to all the listeners. Show us some love. Give us some feedback. Give us some reviews. Let us know if you like it, you dislike it. You know, it's all good. Stick around. Get yourself a drink. So I want to welcome my guest to the lounge. This is one of my newest addictions on Twitter. You can find him at PA Howdy. He's a host of Dynasty Crossroads. You can find that on Apple Podcasts. My man, Peter Howard. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hey, buddy. How's it going? It's doing It's doing good. I mean, you know, we're stuck in the house. Well, the majority of America is stuck in the house. So we might as well put that to good use and start talking fantasy football. I want to talk about some data. 
you know, you're the king of data in my mind. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about data. Um, but first, before we get into that, you've come into the lounge. We like to drink. We always have our jazz going, the cigars going, and the whiskey's poured. Are you a social drinker? It's a good question. Uh, sorry that you wrote it out that way. I'm very much a social drinker. I used to drink a lot, but then I had a family and a job, and I just don't I don't see how people fit it into their lives. But um, if I'm around friends or family that are drinking, I'm happy to drink, put it that way. So I think I'd very much call myself a social drinker more than a drinker. All right, so you drinking anything tonight? Yeah, I went and got uh, went and got something since I was coming in uh, your lounge here. I thought it'd be fitting. <laughs> and what you drinking on tonight? Uh, Wild Turkey 101. Okay, I like that. I like that. I'm I like I'm doing another. Uh, I'm doing a bourbon too. I'm doing the 107 Weller tonight. So, tell me about some things that you're into. What uh, the listeners can can look for. Oh, nothing much at the moment. <laughs> no, um, I was gonna say I've never seen a 107 Special Reserve. I've learned a little bit about bourbon just living around here in Kentucky. But um, what am I up to right now? Just recording my podcast. I put out some YouTube videos a lot lately, trying to put out some content for everyone sitting at home, waiting waiting for the country to start again. Thought I'd try and fill it with some fantasy football fun. I write articles for DLF, and mostly I just make jokes on Twitter. That's basically what I'm up to. Well, you're a great follow indeed. And, you know, I saw they have like some type of bracket or something Um Twitter bracket, and I see that you were in the Sweet 16. I haven't seen. Oh yeah, I got. Yeah, I got kicked out last round. Apparently, I I was uh, up when I went to bed, and then I woke up and I was a loser. So. Oh well. (laughs) Well, you're a winner in our book, Peter. So that's all that matters. (laughs) But tonight we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the 2020 prospects. You know, we got our tape grinders. We got the data nerds. how, How what you call them? Uh, So we want to talk about data. We want to see from the data side, and and you're the guy to talk to, and I want to see the top five. I want to hear about the top five wide receivers and running backs based on data, okay? So I want to talk about your process, kind of get a glimpse of the top players that you're going to be targeting in your rookie drafts. But before we get into that, can you explain to us uh, why the data is, is your method your choice of evaluations and 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 why do you feel like uh you gain an advantage over with data over other methods i can try yeah uh i guess that's what i tell everyone you just got to find something that you enjoy and that you think you you're you have an edge at you're good at i don't think my eye is particularly better than anyone else's while watching football to tell who's good or who's not but i'm fairly familiar with research uh, it makes sense to me, and so that's mostly why I lean data. It just helps. They seem to do better at it, and so I don't see why I should. Uh, I don't understand why anyone that tells someone else to prospect the way they prefer to prospect. Like if you're, if you have an edge, or you feel like you have an edge, or you enjoy this hobby through data or through film, you should just lean on that, man. It's meant to be fun, and I enjoyed the research. I enjoyed collecting the information, and uh, I think I understand it a little bit better than I might be able to just by watching it. I enjoy the game, obviously, but I don't think I see things other people don't see, if you know what I mean. So um, that's why I lean data. Um, as far as my process goes, I just collect as much information as I can about prospects and then try and compare them to past players that were good and see who compares better and worse. It's a pretty simple process that way. 
Yeah, and all this is, and this is this is fun. You know, you see people getting on Twitter, and anytime I say something bad about CD Lamb, you know, people don't people don't want to hear. They 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 want to hear all the positive things about players that they like. Um, but sometimes that's not the case, you know. But it, it's all about fun, right? We're just we love what we do. You love to grind. I love to grind. Uh, and we don't want to take it serious, right? You're not going to be right all the time. You're going to be wrong. Um, but it's 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 fun. It's, exactly, it's a lot yeah. of fun, and we can sit and talk and talk fantasy football and drink bourbon and uh, and shoot the shit, and, and and we'll see in you know a year or two if if we were on point or if we were way off. But um, the grind is fun, and um, you know data is very predictive, right? If you know what you're looking at, uh, it can help you predict you know certain things. So when we talk about running backs, what are some of the metrics that you look at? What do you find uh, is a successful metric? or a metric that predicts success for the running backs. Yeah, it's interesting the way you say that, because I do think it's about just having fun. If you enjoy one particular, and it's all a grind, man. That's what I call my YouTube videos, the grind. As long as you enjoy it, I mean, that that's why we're here. We're just trying to have some fun. Um, as far as running back predictiveness goes, running back is actually harder to predict. And, you know, tape predicts as well. It's just that with numbers, you can compare them directly in different situations. I think that's one of the advantages of numbers. You can you can put context around it and see how the numbers compare. Whereas tape, you're, you're dealing much more with um, kind of an intellectual decision on whether this would look good on another field. Whereas with numbers, you can compare it directly. Interestingly enough, running backs are a little bit more difficult because running back positions just different, right? There are multiple workhorse running backs on the field every game or every season you get one and if you're behind that guy even if you might be more talented than that guy as we've seen repeatedly you know and um, good players play behind good uh, other good players for a little while even if it's just a year then they don't tend to be able to distinguish themselves by earning the role quicker because they're just behind another workhorse and that's more understandable just because of the way the position works so one of the things you're looking at is heights of production um, much more than the average. And so players who do particularly well, um, when they do get that role, are really where you want to concentrate. Interesting enough, one of the most predictive stats I've found for running back um, is actually fantasy points. If you convert their stats into fantasy points for running back, and then you compare their best year and their average and their first and their last years to past prospects, that tends to be have one of the highest correlations, just as a single stat, towards successful players in the NFL. And so I've been looking at it through a, a PPR point, so points per game method this offseason more than most. And that's interesting because, you know, I, I have metrics. Um, so I, I do data. I, I kind of was introduced to data about three years ago, three to four years ago. And I've, I've basically been uh, on film. You know, I used to coach some football. So I'm used to watching film and going over film with players. Uh, so I kind of did that on my own time. And then as data was introduced to me, what I learned was before data – I would make scenarios for players. Well, if he had this, if he had that, if if he hadn't got injured, this is what would have happened, right? Right. But once data was introduced to me, it's it's all there. I can't make any type of excuse. I can't make any type of um, you know scenario for that player. It's black and white. These are the players that were successful. This is what they did. These are the players that were not successful, right? Um, and right. I noticed it in, in metrics. What, what I kind of look at, and I've never done the fantasy uh, points, which I'm going to, you know, perhaps include in my evaluations next year. But, you know, market share in college or, or the dominator rating, right? We talk about that with receivers a lot. Uh, the BMI for running backs, I, I, I noticed, was 
was a good indicator for me. Uh, their agility yeah. and their burst score, certain things like that. You know, it, it's not hard to imagine that a good NFL running back is just an exceptional athlete, right? Um, and that's kind of just their athletic measurables. But like you said, the, the, the production on the college field uh, is also an indicator. So we don't have to talk about the top five in order, but let's talk about five of the running backs that you really want to target in your fantasy drafts, whether that's because it's the best in the class or is it because it's just going to be great value because a lot of people don't know about them. So let's start with one of your running backs. Who do you like in this draft? Yeah, and just to go back for a second, yeah, size and athleticism definitely matters more, a little bit more at running back, um, especially in terms of size. But, you know, Phil, there's always someone like Philip Lindsay just to screw with you. But, um, and that's kind of why I'm starting to like PPR points or points, because running backs score in a variety of different ways, and NFL coaches are going to draft them to do what they were doing in college. So if you're a, a Giovanni Bernard, or if you're an exceptional pass catcher like a James White, um, NFL teams are going to try and use you that way, and PPR points is kind of like a mini model. You know, you get, you're attributing points to certain things. Uh, it's basically a miniature model. And um, I kind of like it that way because it values everything in a way that fantasy players and NFL teams might value them. You know, they they want you to do that role when they get to the NFL. Now, draft capital, just to point out, uh, I'm going to talk about my top five rather than my model's top five because draft capital is so important for running backs and wide receivers that right now pre-draft models are interesting, but they're kind of just – they have a lot harder – uh, a lot more trouble trying to identify the best players because we need to know what kind of draft capital these players are going to get before we get the real signal. Um, but my top five running backs right now are Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, and J.K. Dobbins. Um, of those of those players, I think Cam Akers offers the most well-rounded profile. He was the most productive with an even with a very significant receiving role. And DeAndre Swift also has an interesting split where he was used heavily in the receiving game as well, but he wasn't quite as productive as Cam Akers. And Cam Akers, we also know that I think it was him, haven't I heard, he was struggling on a much worse team with a much worse offensive line. And so that's impressive as well. If you want to talk just pure production, and I know I'm running through all these pretty quick, but I thought we'd just see which ones you're interested in. Jonathan Taylor is by far the most productive. Like, he's highly impressive in terms of the amount of production he was able to put up in college. And just, you know, as a, as a brief stat, um, he, didn't, he didn't score less than 20 points per game in a single year, first, best, last, or average. And that's that's incredibly impressive. That's say, like Saquon Barkley level impressive. The difference there is that Jonathan Taylor is was heavily used in the rushing game. He 94% of his total yards during his time in college came from the rushing game, whereas most top 12 players get at least 15% um, from their receiving yards as well. And so that's a slight knock on Jonathan Taylor. He just, it's not that he can't catch the ball or he's not a good receiver. And I know his receiving usage increased a lot in his last season there. But he, he was used less than we typically see for top 12 players. But he was so productive in the running game that you honestly just got to respect that. He's obviously a very good rusher. Um, and then you've got J.K. Dobbins, which who's just a nice even profile. I don't remember J.K. Dobbins very well. He's the one I haven't got folded. But yeah, he had 12% of his yards came from the receiving game. Um, his lowest PPR points per game total was 15 points per game, which is still very good. Top 12 running backs, for example, average um, uh, 11 points per game in their first year, and he was at 15. So I, I think his is a really solid profile. Um, might be one that I'm more 
interest like i want him to land on a good team rather than i think he can overcome a more difficult situation and um, but i definitely think he runs out the top five very nicely now just to you know break your rule here aj Dillon is someone i want to hear you talk about a little bit more because he seems to be something from a different era to my mind like he's more of a derrick henry that like kind of run you over kind of a player which doesn't fit well in the modern nfl which is why my model and production metrics aren't liking him but he was clearly very productive in college and and he has the same problem with jonathan taylor in that 94 percent of his rushing yards came from the rushing games and you know only six percent or five to six percent came from the receiving game and we know that has such a high value in the nfl or for fantasy at least so i'm interested to hear what you would say about aj Dillon, even though he comes in at number six for me Yes, yeah, I have A.J. Dillon right around number five, number four, number five. So we're similar now. You know, when I watch the tape uh, on A.J. Dillon, it it really excites me. I mean, you kind of see Derrick Henry, but I was kind of into A.J. Dillon before Henry had his breakout. I mean, he's a big back, and the combine really sold it for me. You know, I wasn't sure if he was going to come perform as an elite athlete. Was he going to be a plotter who was just a big back that was kind of just grinding out yards? But he came to the combine. He had the highest vertical jump of all running backs. You know, I think he ended up with a 4-5. or I don't even remember what his 40 was. Let me look it up. I can look it up right now. We've crossed so many numbers now, it's it's hard to really remember. I basically just go off my mind. 4-5-3. He ran a 4-5-3. And, you know, that's something I probably should have mentioned. If anyone's interested in any of the numbers, even if you're just casually looking, like I've got my entire database is pinned to my Twitter timeline. That's not a plug. It's entirely free just because... Like you said, this is meant to be fun. I like talking about it with the people. So if you want to see a number, it's probably in that database. And like I say, it's free. Just click through and you'll get it. I was just kind of vamping while you looked it up. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's right there if you want to talk about it. Or find something you disagree with me on and come tell me I'm wrong. Like, it's all there for you to do it. <laughs> yeah, and the thing about Dylan is, you know, he's he's going to be a pounder. I mean, when LeGarrette Blunt came yeah. out, he, he was a mediocre prospect. You know, he had off-the-field issues, but he was a talented player, and he fell in a good situation. I mean, if you if you put a player like A.J. Dillon perhaps in New England or an offense, you know, like Tennessee that's got a good offensive line that just wants to pound the football, I think A.J. Dillon is going to be a good player. You know, is he going to be an elite running back? I don't think so. You know, Derrick Henry had a year last year. Does he repeat that? You never know, but, you know, I would definitely take A.J. Dillon – probably within the top five of this class. You know, he's got the production. He, he He's not like other former Boston College backs. I mean, he actually was involved in the, the passing game. Uh, you know, I've heard him being compared to Andre Williams in the past, too. You know, Andre Williams, he was pretty much a plotter. He, you know, he, he, he grinded out yards. Uh, he wasn't involved in the pass game. You know, A.J. Dillon, you know, I made a tweet before. He's he looks like he's he's just a giant monster with ballerina feet. I mean, he's quick. Right. Uh, he can run people over. You know, he's gonna he's gonna be that player who's gonna have a lot of good games, but then he could disappear for a while. Uh, but he's somebody that I wouldn't mind stashing on my on my team. And to the flip side, I'm not really a J.K. Dobbins fan. He's not okay. in my top five. And you know, it's hard to say that because I know you get I get a lot of uh, you know, <laughs> hate for that because J.K. is is number one on some people's board, but. The thing that I see about J.K. Dobbins, and you know his his production is looks looks good, right? His data looks good, but on film, I noticed the majority of his plays are out of the, the the RPO, the run pass option, you know, the shotgun with Justin Fields, and he is he doesn't seem like he's a very good pass blocker to me, and I think those two things could hamper his 
his growth and adjustment in the NFL. Now, obviously, you can become a good pass blocker. I did knock Rashad Penny as a pass blocker coming out, and he still doesn't seem to have gotten it. Um, so Maybe. everyone can't get it. Was he electric in college? Absolutely. But I think he, he's going to be like Dylan, though. He's going to need the, the perfect situation. I don't think you can line him up in the backfield in, in, in an eye formation or split formation and, and, and let him go off tap, tackle, and he's going to be a good running back. I think he's going to need those linebackers to hesitate, and you know that split second allows him to find that crease, and, and his speed is going to outrun people. But um, tell me why you do like uh, J.K. Dobbins. Um, my model likes him. No, uh... <laughs> To, to be very clear, I think um, watching the tape has a strong advantage at running back, and it's for several obvious reasons. Um, one is that the running back position depends on so many other players, like you were saying about the offensive line, but it even depends on whether the wide receivers you know, approach their blocking assignments well, or if the scheme is right, or the defensive line is particularly good. And you can get a lot more access to that than probably re- publicly recorded data can to view them like i can't really see the nuance i can't really separate out what is this player's skill and what is this player's situation nearly as well as i can a wide receiver just because it's such a team dependent position and so hearing that he's not as good of a pass blocker is important i would say that when we go to the nfl pass blocking does seem to be a learned skill like none of these players None of them are good enough to pass block in the NFL yet. And that's based on just the way these grades and the way they've been at pass blocking has transferred to the NFL. All of them have to get better because it's such a higher level. Everyone in the NFL is an incredible athlete. Everyone in the NFL is pretty much the best athlete and football player that ever stepped onto a college or high school field in their past, right? They've, they're used to being the guy, and suddenly you're thrown into this crunch where everyone is that guy. That it, I really do think tape has a strong advantage of running back just because it's dependent on so many other players fulfilling their role, doing their job, and it's hard to separate out how much they create for themselves and how much team is helping or hurting them. And that goes back to Cam Akers being in a terrible situation and yet producing fairly well in that situation. Now, the reason I like J.K. Dobbins, I know I'm getting around to the point, but um, just to do some simple comparisons here, he had about 5,000 all-purpose yards, and within in three years, A.J. Dillon, who, are we talking about Dobbins, right, not Dillon? No, we're talking about, no, yeah. Unless you want to talk yeah. about Dylan. <laughs> no, no. Same number of years. Um, got a thousand. Oh wow, about four hundred less yards. Like J.K. Dobbins just looks productive with the amount of time he was in college, and that's one reason a model's going to like him. He also had uh, three years with twenty receptions or more, and I kind of like that. It was it was used fairly heavily in the receiving game. That goes back to the twelve percent of his receiving yards coming from the receiving game, and that's such a valuable skill in the NFL, or at least for fantasy. You know every catch counts as a point and that's that's important when you're talking about fantasy because even if he's not not a heavy producer you can still get points from him that's part of why running backs always just have value on a fantasy roster right i think that wild turkey's hitting me by the way it's been way too long since i drank anything i'm getting way too excited about jk dominson like he like he's fifth i just think he has real solid profile he was productive enough in college i can't separate out how much was him how much was his team like you can from watching it and um, but based on his overall accomplishments in terms of numbers and production like i think if an nfl team likes him enough to draft him in the first three rounds he could very easily find himself a role especially with that both sides of the game aspect to his college profile if a team takes him because they've seen him used in the receiving game so much i think they will be more willing or will be planning to maybe that's a better way of looking at it throw him the ball a little bit more than they would an aj Dillon. 
Dylan, for example, because he wasn't, they haven't seen him do that role as much. And so that gives J.K. Dobbins, if he gets a draft capital, goes to a decent landing spot, just a little bit of an ed- edge over someone like Dylan. Yeah, and, and there's a few, you know, there's other few other red flags for, for J.K. And when you look at the data, you know, you look at 2018 and you wonder why, why did he split time with Mike Weber? And, but when you watch the film, you can see why, because they had two different offenses. When Justin Fields played last year and they played the run pass option, J.K. was the man. But in 2018, the quarterback was Dwayne Haskins, and that was more of a pro-style offense. Right. So when the running back has to stay back and block, J.K. Dobbins was not on the field, right? <laughs> so so Weber, Weber got a lot of the plays. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. And then he didn't, at the, at the combine, you know, he, he didn't run at the combine, which is a red flag as well. So it's, it's a shame we can't see his pro day. We're not going to know any of his stats. Uh, if he's quick, agile. Uh, how his burst is so it's kind of risky for me so right now he's on the outside of the top five looking in for me um, but I can't knock anybody because again uh, it's speculation you know you're mixing data and film and and you know I could be wrong so I'm not going to knock anybody who has JK as their number one back but he's on the outside looking in so Jonathan Taylor obviously he's a stud I mean obviously you you mentioned his production and, and if you're going by PPR stats he's obviously the guy in this class I mean, he had almost 2,000 yards every year in college, right? If he had he was incredible. If he had played, he had played <laughs> his fourth year, he would have he would have shattered every college rushing record uh, if he had played that extra year. Cam Akers, you know, I think Cam Akers is a good pass blocker, but like you said, you know, you learn as you get to the NFL, they're much quicker. Um, but I think that Akers is probably one of the best pass blockers of this class. Another knock on on Clyde Edwards Alaire, and we'll talk about him. He, he's not a very good pass protector as well, and he has very few comps. You know, I can't comp him to anybody in my model. I don't know if you, uh, if your model comps players or not. Okay. But 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 he's a difficult one for me. But you know, Sony Michelle when he was coming out, I I really bumped his stock because you know he was a very good pass protector. Obviously, he has that knee condition, which is probably going to affect his career, similar to Gurley. But uh, if I'm watching the film for running backs, you know, I look for vision. I look for their 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 uh, speed, and then I look for you know their pass blocking skills. So that that's a big thing for me when I when I uh, you know make my ranking for for on the film side. So let's talk about DeAndre Swift. I mean, for a while there, he was the darling of his class. Right. He was number one for probably most of the college season, and then Jonathan Taylor kind of overtook him uh, as the number one back. What do you think about Swift? Do you think? You know, his lack of production, I mean, he, he didn't see the field a lot, enough to put up good stats, but, you know, he wasn't that bell cow. What do you think his role is going to be in the NFL, and do you think he could be a three-down back, or is he going to be a, a Austin Eckler, Alvin Kamara-type running back at the next level? All right, let me let me stop playing podcast guest for a second. But one, I'm not very good at it. And two, I'm in the lounge. And by the way, can I just compliment your lounge? Like, I've been watching your videos, just getting more and more jealous of the little <laughs> setup you've got there. I mean, it's fucking awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate looks, you know, You know what we need to do, incredible. though? And, um, I'm going to pour some more Wellers, too. When this, yeah, when this virus is gone and the quarantine's over, you're in Kentucky. You're, you're maybe there like you two hours away. We yeah. need to do a live, a live collaboration. <laughs> 
and celebrate all these victories that these rookie drafts we're going to have. No, it's very cool, man. Just in case you ever someone's listening to your podcast and not watching the YouTube videos, you need to go check it out. It's a really sweet setup, even down to the little like 1960s lamp you've got on the bar there. It just looks fucking awesome. Oh, I appreciate and it. Appreciate it. Just, but you know, to turn my conversational, like we're just guys talking about football because we enjoy watching it. So let me just play that guy. Um, don't you think NFL coaches have a long have a lot to say about what a running back's gonna do like me and you we watched jonathan taylor and like you said he got 6400 yards in three years to compare him to the 5000 and the 400 4000 from jk dobbins and aj dillon you just know that looked amazing no matter what the situation was he's putting up so many yards he must be running over dudes and nfl coaches are prospecting at a higher level but the similar way we're doing they're watching them they're looking at the numbers and they've got a they're gonna draft J- Jonathan Taylor high, and and them and him crushing Swift. As much as Swift's production looks well balanced, he's got all that receiving work. Eighteen percent of his yards, by the way, came from the receiving game, which is a fantasy player. I think we have to value again that receiving game is so valuable for us when we're talking about fantasy points, and and so that's why I like um, DeAndre Swift. It's that even balance. He was productive enough, but then don't you think an NFL coach looks at it? And if I'm playing that game, this is more story-wise than analytics. But I think at some point, especially running back, you have to play the story game. And the the NFL coaches are watching the tape just like you are, and they're looking at the numbers like I am. And they go, okay, this guy was productive, but this guy was better. And I think NFL coaches much more are much more like you than me. They enjoy watching tape. They enjoy seeing a player be good at something. So they're going to look at Jonathan Taylor and say, let's get him the ball. Let's give him draft capital. Let's put him on the team. Whereas someone like Swift, they may well devalue while this guy was beaten out by Taylor. Um, And that might hinder Swift's draft stock. So I think the draft is going to tell us more about Swift than I could probably imagine. (laughs) Uh, Wild turkey, man. It's a real thing. Um, By just looking at the numbers. He was productive enough. I like the way he was producing numbers. That's why Swift looks good. But like you said, he was was, uh, um, overtaken um, in the last year there and became not the guy. I mean, I've got... Let me scan over here. Uh, PPR points. Yeah. He got 215, which is down from 229 PPR points in his last year. So, uh, yeah, I can see his role being taken over there a little bit. But um, don't you think the coaches have so much to say about this? And they're going to tell us it with draft capital. It's like, you know, what everyone says, you know, put your money where your mouth is. And essentially draft capital is their money. And so if they take Swift round one, like I'm not going to have many questions about it. But if they wait till day two, if they take him in day four, I'm still going to like him like I liked um, Aaron Jones because I think he has a multidimensional skill set, which is highly valuable fantasy if he finds a role. But you know, coaches and how they value them. And we're going to find that out on draft day. Like, what do you do with that as someone who mostly goes through the tape? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, 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 the organizations are going to tell you what they think. But again, a, a team and a coach might be drafting a running back for a certain role, right? You know, Sean Payton has a certain kind of offense. You, you know, he has Alvin Kamara, who technically Alvin Kamara probably shouldn't have been a superstar, uh, Sean Payton has no, really, really shouldn't have from numbers Sean, as well. He didn't look like it. <laughs> yeah, and Sean Payton really brought out his strengths. Now, I'll tell you a story real quick. You know, I was at the combine um, and I was talking to some reliable sources, and I don't like to mention names, but this reliable source talked to Sean Payton directly. Uh, oh, wow. 
and he's a fantasy guy and, he, and you can find this if you just search podcast you'll find find this conversation but uh the the uh, source asked sean payton why don't you give alvin kamara the ball more at the goal line and sean payton's response was alvin's too soft <laughs> <laughs> so sean payton knows exactly how to use alvin kamara he's a talented player he's not a bell cow right He's not going to be a three-down back, grind it out. So these teams are going to draft players to fit their offense, right? You know, I can see Sean McVay maybe going to the two-back set. You know, the girly experiment is over with. Uh, would he want someone like DeAndre Swift and then team him up with a Malcolm Brown or, you know, a Henderson? So draft capital is going to tell a lot, and I'm excited to see what running back goes first because I can see Jonathan Taylor as a three-down bell cow uh, similar to a guy like uh, Saquon Barkley, not as talented as Saquon, um, but in that role where he's the three-down back, he can catch for you, he can pound. But I can see Swift more of that Alvin Kamara-type role where he comes in, he's electric, but could he be, you know, quote-unquote soft, right? Maybe that's why he didn't see the field enough. So, you know, you have to take that in consideration. So draft capital will be will be key for these running backs for sure. If you don't it's have anything else to say about, you no, go ahead. We're, we're, sure, we, sure, man. <laughs> if we don't have to about running backs, we're going to go to receivers. But let's finish up on running backs. No, finish I want to talk about. I want to talk about running backs with a tape grinder, man. Like I say, I honestly think you know more about him than I do. And um, like you t- talked about Saquon Barkley and um, Jake Anderson, one of the guys I honestly think he's actually retired from fantasy football content. But I still think he's one of the best evaluators of football. Don't tell him I said that. But he used to be my co-host on the Dynasty Crossroads. Um, and he's on a, he's really good at this game. And he was shocked that people would compare Saquon Barkley and Jonathan Taylor. From a numbers perspective, I have to say that the only reason I know they don't compare is because I know they don't compare. <laughs> yes. Like yes. people tell me, Jake and you say, no, nowhere close. But in terms of production, like Saquon Barkley in three years had 5,000 yards, okay, just total yards. But his efficiency, he got 6.5 yards per touch. And Jonathan Taylor got 6.9 yards per touch in three years, getting 6,000 yards total. So, like, there's no number that says that that are public and remember i'm restricted to i'm just a public grinder man i'm just guy playing fantasy football i don't have any of these secret pfs stats like yards after contact and stuff you know i don't have any of that but just looking at what the raw numbers are all publicly available i get them all from the sports football reference if you want a good site just to see college stats it's a really good site um, and, like, his efficiency was similar. His overall production was similar. The only difference is that Saquon Barkley had that production where having 23% of his yards come from the receiving game, which, like I said, is really valuable fantasy. But that doesn't speak like what you were just saying to Saquon Barkley's talent. You can see that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of the interesting differences between, the, especially at running back. Like, I think I can do more with wide receiver than tape can, but, you know, Jake would disagree with me. Um, with data but with running back it's so much and i think a large part of it is like you were just saying sean payton is much more he's i mean he's really intelligent knows a lot about football more than i do probably about football but um at the same time he's a human being watching players and he gets so much of his information from that and that's why and so he's going to use him in that role like you were just saying about your source and so i do think that the draft is the best place for data when it comes to running backs especially I mean, very few running backs do a 
Philip Lindsay, not just because of his size, but because of his draft capital. Very few do an Aaron Jones, for that matter. Um, and so, so much of it comes from, I think, coaching influence, coaching decision. I mean, the amount of time a team runs or passes is almost, is has more to do with the coach that's in charge of calling the plays than the players. And as someone who's very player-centric, that's hurtful. That hurts me to say. But it's true. The coaches control the split. And I think players can control how much of the split they get, especially at wide receiver. Um, but I think running back so heavily coaching the influence, and the best source of that is just going to be the draft. Um, I, don't, I don't know what you asked me. I forget. Sorry. But um, two players at the running back position I do want to ask you about, because you have this better insight of running back, is Keyshawn Vaughn, who I kind of like, and also Eno Benjamin because almost no one talks about him. And again, his numbers look real solid. I know he's kind of smaller, but like, uh, what do you see about, out of either of those two players? Well, before the combine, I really liked Eno Benjamin, but after the combine, I wasn't really a fan. And like you said earlier, wide receiver is much more easy to predict data-wise. Like, I can run a model... Because yeah. normally running backs are easier to predict because if they get in the volume, they're going to get the numbers. Yeah. But with prospects, sorry, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I, 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 on my model, I can run through, I have a, a 26 metric filter, and I can literally filter oh. the, the, the top five oh. fantasy wide receivers for the past 20 years. I mean, it's, it's, it's so cut and dry, like it's right there. Uh, but when you try to do that with running backs, I mean, it's all over the place. You can't, yeah. you, can't predict, you can't predict anything. Um, I mean, you you can have an idea, but uh, yeah, to, to evaluate running backs, I think film definitely um, needs to be taken into consideration. And, and talking about Barkley, I mean, I can agree with Jake. When Barkley came out, Barkley is <clears throat> he's a different breed. You know, Barkley, uh, he's a different kind of human being, right? Yes. <laughs> he, he's, he's not. I mean, when he came out. I didn't even consider him a running back. I consider him just an offensive weapon. I, I thought that he was gonna, I, I thought he was gonna revolutionize the NFL and just be a different player. And I hope the Giants don't ruin that because I really think that Saquon can go down as one of the greatest NFL players of all time when it's all said and done. And I would not con- compare Jonathan Taylor to him. Uh, I, I think Jonathan Taylor is a talented back and even better off the field player. If you Google. Uh, a lot of stuff on Jonathan Taylor off the field. Very, very good human being. Just a smart, intelligent, uh, oh, kind person. I mean, he's very, very good person off the field. And I think that's going to help him be successful at the NFL level. So for me, he's he's definitely uh, a number one. Now, Keyshawn Vaughn and, and um, Eno Benjamin, and, and I can try to pull them up. But, you know, some of the things that I didn't like, and really it goes back to the combine. You know, I you can put all the numbers into the database. But really, when it comes to the combine, are they good athletes, right? Because the one thing that data doesn't tell you is who are they playing against, right? You know, That's fair. W- when you're playing in a tough conference, a tough run conference versus maybe, a, you know, a running back that's playing and has an easy schedule or, you know, just walking over opponents, those stats are, are really irrelevant. So you got to see if it's a good athlete. You know, and there's been players that I've been down on through the years that have had great stats, but they weren't really that great of athletes. So... Are you down on Zach Moss for the same reason? Yes, definitely okay. down, down on Zach Moss. Um, to be honest with you, there's a few backs that I like, and then there's a few backs I'm just completely avoiding. You know, and, and most of them, most of the guys that I'm really looking at is like the Darius and Evans and the Josh Kellys, the guys oh, really? that are going to fall, right? The guys that are going to fall, like 
I'm not really interested in Keyshawn Bond, Zach Moss. I hate to say it, J.K. Dobbins is going to be drafted before I, I take him, so I don't really have to worry about it. But, you know, Taylor Swift, Akers, Dylan, Joshua Kelly, I like Darrington Evans, you know, uh, Antonio Gibson. I mean, some of these players that are just great athletes, I think when they get their chance, just because they're great athletes, they're going to be successful. I mean, you look at a player like Jarek McKinnon, who he was an exceptional athlete. And when he finally got his chance, you know, in the right scheme with, with Pat Shermer, he, he was really good. I mean, he won some people some fantasy leagues. So that's what kind of what you're looking for. A lot of these players aren't going to be, you know, successful top 15, top 20 backs for most of their career. I mean, perhaps Taylor, Akers, uh, Swift, maybe some of those guys, maybe J.K. himself. But more times than not, they're not going to be like every year studs. Um, so look for those value guys in the later half of the rounds, like the Aaron Joneses and the Alvin Kamaras, the ones that are drafted like in the fourth round, uh, fifth round that, that really break out. Um, so that's really who I'm targeting. I, it's I'm interesting take... that you say that because I created a combine model just weighting combine metrics compared to past players. Again, just comparing them to the players that were good. Now, Eno Benjamin and Vaughn both have production, which is fairly good. Like I say, it's on the borderline. It puts them top 10 in my model. But their athletic, um, the combine model I just mentioned, um, they're slightly below average. And Zach Moss is why I asked him. He's significantly below average just because of that 40 time. But then you mentioned Kelly, someone I hadn't been looking at a lot because he falls outside the top 10 in production. But he's above average in the combine. Um, and so Darrington Evan, he was significantly high in my combine model. So it's interesting that those names are lining up, which makes me ask about, I don't even know this guy, Levante Bellamy. He was slightly above average in the combine model. Is he someone you're interested in? Um, no, to be honest no? with you, <laughs> okay. when I filtered my model, his name didn't even come up. Um, but I will tell you that I, I questioned you on, on Twitter when you – mentioned your your rankings and Josh right. Kelly right he he did not play he played two years at UCLA but he also played you know two years at JUCO so I asked you if you use his production stats as well in your model and you don't which is which is fine everyone has their their own uh, process but if you look at what he did at his, at the other schools he's actually a very productive athlete and not only did he go yeah. from dominating JUCO he started to dominate at UCLA and and he wasn't involved really in the pass game a lot. And, you know, they asked Chip Kelly, why wasn't he involved in the pass game? And his response was, well, because we use him so much on the ground game, we were trying to give him a rest, <laughs> right? I don't know if you heard that, but uh, so, you know, Joshua Kelly, he really opened my eyes at the senior bowl. <clears throat> I mean, he came out there. I mean, he really looked good at the senior bowl. He looked like he could handle a three down roll at the NFL level. Um, he went to the combine. He proved that he was a good athlete. So I took notice and, uh, you know, he's right around my top five, uh, someone that probably is going to be slept on, you know, based on draft capital. Again, yeah. if he goes to a really good situation, obviously, if he goes to like Kansas City Chiefs, he's going to be valued pretty highly. But if he goes to a, you know, under the radar team, if he goes to the Colts later in the draft, I'm going to be all over him. You know, if they decide to take a running back late and it's someone like him. I'm going to be all over that pick. But as we get closer, again, draft capital is going to be huge, right? We're gonna we're gonna really be able to nail down our our you know our rankings after the draft. But um, enough yeah, about running backs. Yeah, Let's but that's talk just about cheating. Wide receivers. <laughs> receivers. We we're gonna be able sure. to nail this easy, right? <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to make your podcast run long. Yeah, sorry, man. I was just interested in those guys. Um, oh. Yeah, wide receivers. Um, 
I'll go to my ranks over my model again because I think I'm better than my model because I'm an arrogant little son of a bitch. Um, but sorry, I don't know if I can swear on this one. But my, hey, this is this is your world right now. <laughs> my top five are C.D. Lamb, Jalen Ragor, Justin Jefferson, Jerry Judy, and then I have uh, Brian Edwards in there. But it's really just so people don't forget him. Like if they ever look at my ranks, like I want people to remember him a little bit. Um, I guess T. Higgins or Denzel Mims would actually be number five, though predicting draft capital a little bit. I think the, those two are more likely top five. All right, so you said uh, your number one receiver in the class is who? CeeDee Lamb? Yeah. Tell me tell me about CeeDee Lamb. Why, you, why like, do you love him so much? Let me have it, man. And no, I love CeeDee Lamb, man. Um, he's incredibly productive in college. That That's the simple answer. Um, and which stat do you want to look at? <laughs> no, um, no, you're a, you're absolutely right. His stats across the board, there's there's no reason why you shouldn't love him. But I want to know why you love him. What what stat? What is it that just everything? All his stats? He's incredibly productive every year. Like he was never below. Well, let me actually look. He was below average for players with multiple top twenty four receiving uh, games in the NFL. He was below average in his first year. But, you know, that's typical. Most players don't get above average in their first year because they're 18, they're skinny little kids coming in to p- compete against 23-year-olds who've been in the college weight room for four years, you know? So um, that's actually fairly typical. But uh, he broke out at age 19, if I remember right, which means having uh, 20% or more of the team's college do- production um, at that age. He, in fact, broke out for a 30% threshold at age 20. And he was above average in dominator rating, again, compared to those successful NFL players every year outside of his first year. Um, he was highly efficient and players with top two, two top 24 seasons averaged 1.7 yards per team pass attempt throughout their college career. Um, and he was right there. Uh, well, actually, top 24 guys averaged 1.65 if you want to get really nerdy about it. And he averaged 1.7. So he's actually above average in that. I mean, he was just phenomenally productive every year of his career. He was a wide receiver one in a Big 12 offense. Let's go. Let's fucking go. <laughs> um, he's a man. Um, he's just great. Um, now, one thing that I have heard from, a, I guess, a number or a data argument is that he is slightly smaller in terms of BMI or in terms of height, weight um, comparisons than top 12 players so that might limit his ceiling a little bit if you like combined stats but honestly I'm not overly concerned with it um, again I, I created a combine model and put him into that he's slightly below average which I think might limit his ceiling but I think he's going to be a if he gets draft capital especially I think he's going to be a productive NFL player you're going to want on your roster at some point in fantasy um, and I think he's going to get some of the highest draft capital from this class because of all of that, which means there's really nothing not to like about CD Lamb. Next. So this is this is your this is your podcast. This is your data podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but can I tell you? Can I tell you the, some red flags I have on CD Lamb? I would love to hear some red flags because I want to go right. tell Jake about them because he all loves. Right. So, <laughs> so the way the way my model works is I actually. And I think you have the same kind of data. It's about 20 years, right? You, I think that's about as far back as we can go unless you're going one-offs, one player at a time. Um, so, so I have data for the last 20 years. The top, So I can break down if, if he's got a top five ceiling, a top 12 ceiling, and a top 24 ceiling. And and the hit rate is about 85% of, of what I've done. 
And I can tell you that in the last 20 years, C.D. Lamb has hit every category for me, but he gets booted because of his BMI. Right. And as in the last 20 years, no wide receiver that made the top five fantasy has under a 25.94 BMI at, at their pro day or combine, right? And C.D. Lamb is at a 25.68. Now, when he did his pro day, I thought I heard that he weighed even less than he did at the combine, but I could not, as I started researching that, I could not find that anywhere. But I thought I heard that he was under even what he weighed at the combine. Uh, but I have his combine weight and his height. So his, according to his BMI, he's eliminated from my top five list. So the only receiver, <laughs> the only receiver in this class that has a top five ceiling, according to my model, right? My model right. <laughs> is Justin Jefferson. All right, so he's my number one. But the other, the other thing that Ceedee Lamb that I worry about is a few things. One, if you look at, so he's going to be a first round wide receiver. If you look back at the history of the Big Twelve. Most of them are busts. I mean, especially first round draft choices. I mean, Des Bryant was was okay. Uh, Roy Williams, he was all right. But a lot of them were busts. And a few years back, we we were in love with Corey Coleman, and we were in love with Josh Doxson, and we're in love with Kendall Wright, and all these first round picks because they look so great in the Big 12 that I wonder when CeeDee Lamb gets to the NFL if he's going to be like, holy shit, like, these guys are fucking good, right? And then in that in Lincoln Riley's offense, you know the air raid or however is it, however he runs that offense, they never right. pressed the wide receivers at all. CD had plenty of room to to do whatever he wanted to do. Obviously, you've seen the the videos where he catches a pass and he makes like eight guys miss, right? Those guys aren't even going to be drafted, right? The best, I think, the best defensive back that CD Lamb has faced is A.J. Green, who could be drafted, but he might not even be drafted. So those are some red flags for C.D. Lamb. For me, his BMI is is the reason. Now, he, he did hit the top 24. So I have his ceiling as a top 24 wide receiver. So I am putting him at wide receiver three in this class for me, only because I'd get crucified if I put him outside my top five. <laughs> And so just, got, to, just to throw it out there, like Stefan Diggs has the same problem and people still love him to maybe have a top 12 season one day. And I love Stefan Diggs, but he was drafted a lot later than we expect CD Lamb. Um, and also like AJ Green had a 25.9 BMI. I think that's the path for CD Lamb. It's someone who plays different than Julio Jones, but can have a top 12 ceiling. Um, and something else in common those guys with a lower BMI have is that they were underproductive, whereas AJ Green and CD Lamb were both overproductive compared to the average. And so I still have a lot of hope for CD Lamb, like beating that BMI curve. Like say, BMI has like a naught point, has like a two percent correlation to NFL success, whereas production has like a twenty-seven percent. So I'd rather lean on the production. But I get your criticism. Again, I think it's fairer to see him having a top twenty-four season. But there is a path to him being a top 12 player, I do think. Yeah, and, and you're right. And actually, um, I mean, you're much smarter than I am, so I'm not going to question <laughs> anything that no, you say. No. Stephon Diggs did hit my model, and so so did AJ Green. Um, so I'm just going off that. The one thing I can say about my... We ready? Uh, yeah, we're, so we're, we're, back. we're back in the lounge. We had some te- technical difficulties. Um... 
We just finished talking about CD Lamb and how much we both love him, right? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> let's talk about um, well, let's talk about my number one receiver. I have Justin Jefferson. What do you think about Justin Jefferson? I love Justin Jefferson. I think he's really productive. Um, he played the two um, more than he played the one in college. Um, but still, even playing the two, um, he was incredibly productive even compared to the average top 24 wide receiver in the NFL. He's incredibly efficient. He averaged 1.9 yards per team reception. or well, team pass attempt, sorry. Um, again, uh, his combine wasn't perfect. Um, he comes out slightly below average. He ran a 4.43, which is great, um, but at his BMI, that just gives him a slightly lower weight and higher adjusted speed score. Um, but he still, uh, you know, compares slightly better to top 24 players uh, in the combine model than someone like C.D. Lamb, who have already made excuses for. Again, I just think the combine matters less than how productive these players were in college. And in the SEC, playing for LSU, Justin Jefferson was highly productive. So I really like Justin Jefferson. Yeah, well, we can agree on that. Let's drink to that one. <laughs> how much of that uh, wild turkey you have left? And none. I, uh, I drank all my double shot. I'd have to leave to go get more. <laughs> well, that must have been why we disconnected. All right, let's talk about Jerry Judy. There's so much <laughs> There's so much debate about the Alabama offense and Judy and Ruggs and Smith and Waddle and Najee Harris and whoever else is playing. Tell me about <laughs> Jerry Judy because I, I love Jerry Judy on tape and his production is so-so, eh, but I love him on tape. What do you, you uh, data-wise, tell me about Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy looks good as well, especially in that offense where, like you said, there's been so much said about it. Um, he never hit a 30% threshold um, of team production, but I guess that that's where I can make excuses. He looks slightly below average, but there was some amount of team competition, which is a little unusual, which is the same for Odo Beckham, which is the same for Jarvis Landry. And so we can adjust him up a little bit, and that puts him well within the range of a top, multiple year top 24 player. Um, and gives him that upside as well. He was actually slightly better at the combine than someone like CeeDee Lamb as well. Um, he was just a little less productive, and we can make some excuses because of the split of um, competition at Alabama. Now, that split isn't enough that I can excuse Smith or I can excuse Ruggs, but I can definitely excuse, uh, excuse Judy a little bit just because he was so much closer to the threshold. And again, just some numbers to throw on top of that. He had 1.3 yards per team pass attempt, which is below average, but it's, it's a lot closer than someone like Ruggs and someone like Smith. His production score was 3% below average, but again, he had a 5% above average split in terms of um, team competition level. And Henry Ruggs was like 12, 15% below average, and it's harder to excuse that than it is to excuse someone like Judy. What do you do? Let me ask you this. What You haven't mentioned this player, but what do you do? I'm just curious. A player like Tyler Johnson, right? I mean, the data is there. I mean, the data shows that this guy could be a star, but there's just so many. It seems like there's so many red flags that keep popping up. You know, the, the, he wasn't invited to the Senior Bowl. He dropped out of the Shrine Bowl. He decided not to run to the Combine. What do you do uh, on a data, from a data perspective of a player that has all the data metrics that you want but it just seems like there's just something i mean unless you don't think there's anything there what's your take on tyler johnson 
Tyler Johnson, I don't know. There's something there that we don't know about. That's my take on Tyler Johnson. There's no production metric that you could want that he doesn't have and exceed, exceptionally exceed expectation. He was even in a pretty tight competition there in his uh, last two years with, um, what's what's his name, Bateman? Sean Bateman, In Minnesota. Yeah. So, like, he's kind of got it all, but it's very clear there's something we don't know about. And at a certain point, uh, with the amount of buzz and rumor going around about his draft co- draft capital slipping. Like last year, he was talked about as a potential first-round pick if he came out. So the NFL found or discovered or decided in some way that they don't like something. There's way too much smoke for them not to be some fire. Um, I'm going to want him. He's going to slip in the draft probably. And I'm going to want him on some taxi squads just to see what happens. Um, but there's a mystery there that we... I I honestly don't know. Maybe you have a source, but I don't. I don't have enough sources. I have no idea why they don't like him. But at this point, with this much, this level of conversation around him or lack of conversation around him, all of a sudden, there's there's no way I can ignore that. You got anything? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell you what I have. Tyler Johnson. This is this is not from a source. This is just me. Tyler Johnson played high school in Minnesota. He went to the University of Minnesota. I believe Tyler Johnson wants to go undrafted so he can sign with Minnesota. That's what I think. And then that would be huge because he could actually become a superstar alongside Adam Thielen. So keep your eye on that. We'll we'll see what happens with that. But uh, there is potential. He could go undrafted. I mean, if, if... They don't like him, but we'll see. See, I'm more concerned with Tyler than I would be with, like, I understand why Adam Thielen slipped, right? Coming from a lower competition level at an older age, like, the NFL is very well aware of Tyler Johnson. Like I said, there was first-round buzz around him last year if he came out. Like, maybe they're just being assholes. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But it makes me think that, you know, they're going to know things that I don't more often than not. And that's my concern. Like, there's no reason, like an Adam Thielen or like a Stephon Diggs, like a T.Y. Horton. These players sometimes came from smaller conferences that were less well-known. The NFL has looked directly at Tyler Johnson. They're aware of everything that he's done, and they're still saying no, and that makes me worried. But, yeah, carry on. (laughs) That's fair. Uh fair judgment there all right let's talk about one last player i think you love this player well actually let's talk about two more players because there's a player i love that you didn't mention and there's a player that you love and i think it's jalen rager tell me about tell me about jalen rager and why he's going to be someone we want on our fantasy teams (laughs) if you're looking for upside in this draft i actually think lower draft capital in rookie drafts is better like i said like we said cd lamb maybe has something of a ceiling but i still think there's a path to top 12 there Justin Jefferson definitely profiles more to me as a top 24 rather than a top 12 guy. Jerry Judy's got all these excuses around him. And again, his combine limits in the same way Lamb does. But Jalen Ragor, um, his combine, I think, was significantly better. And um, with the 4.47, he ran at that size. He put on a lot of weight, came in at a 29 BMI. Like, that's a monster. That guy's a monster. And he was highly productive. Now, the problem with Jalen Ragor's production was... He didn't do well in his last year, and a lot of data analysts, a lot of people prefer to look through what a player did most recently. So what they did in their last year matters a lot. And Jalen Regor, even adjusting for the fact that the team was worse, like he should have done better than he did. He had a bad year. But he also broke out at 18. Age 18 and 19, he's phenomenal. And then this last season, he drops off. I'm just willing to bet that that's, 
you know, not every... Sometimes you have a bad year, and Jalen Rago had a bad year at age 20, and I'm willing to accept that. But outside of that, like his dominator rating is incredible, his efficiency on average is terrible. But years one and two, like I said, it's it's highly impressive. Um, and I think he's the most physically, um, with that kind of profile, capable of being a top 12 wide receiver based on, you know, the, the combine stats he put up. So, like, I really like him for that reason. I think he's going to get drafted slightly later than Lamb, Jefferson, and I do think he has that that upside. Yeah, and, and, I, and I like Jalen Rager. He, well, he, he hits my model. My model likes him. The things about Jalen Rager that I'm kind of concerned about is I'm concerned about his drops and I'm concerned about his competition. But the model absolutely loves him, so I can't discredit him all the way. So he's going to probably be around my top five. Before I talk about the player I love – that I want your opinion of. I'm going to give you the players. So the top five ceiling is Justin Jefferson is the only one. The next tier is who who could make a top 12 ceiling. And that's Justin Jefferson again, Jerry Judy, Brian Edwards, Jalen Rager, and the guy that I love, LaVisca Sonal. Tell me about LaVisca, why you don't like him. What, what do you see that you don't like? Uh, he looks like a model confuser. Um, is a term I apply to it. His, he played well at 19, to be fair, but at age 18 and 20, he was significantly below average. Now, what that means is he's a peak producer, or that's the term I apply to it. Having, in the same way that having one bad year doesn't make me not like Jalen Rago, having one good year doesn't make me like LaVisca Chanel. Like, he wasn't good at age 18. He wasn't good at age 20. This age 19 season was actually good. So I like him, but he's got so much... I think people are going to be willing to take that bet that that one year was the proof and the other two years were just an aberration and over me. And so I'm going to end up not liking him as well as the market. He is a physical freak. Like, he's an incredible specimen of human human being. You know, um, he, he had incredible combine. He's huge. Um, for his size, is incredibly fast. Um, and again, his age 19 season was great. But, like, he was good once out of three times <laughs> out of three years. Like, that, that, it's that simple calculation. Like if, you, yeah. like, if you can't do two out of three, like, the odds are that you're, you're probably less likely to be in the top 24 than you are not. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely hear you there. And, um, you know... We we can we can make scenarios for all kind of players. I mean, we can talk about. I, I did a I did a Lavisca Chanel breakdown, a YouTube video in a podcast where I talk about his coach and how it affected his production um, as a freshman and and all that good stuff. And again, they rode uh, Philip Lindsay. If you look at the stats, we talked about Lindsay. If we had looked at what we were looking at for Lavisca now, we would have seen that Lindsay was probably going to be a player in the NFL as much as they leaned on him. But uh. One player that we didn't talk about that is the biggest, I don't, I don't even know, the biggest topic on Twitter is Henry Ruggs or not Henry Ruggs. And he wasn't on any of our lists. Tell me about Henry Ruggs, why you don't like him. Do, do you think he's going to be a success? Do you think he's going to be a bust? What do you think Henry Ruggs' outcome is going to be? I think he's going to be a good NFL player. I don't think he's going to be a good fantasy player. I don't think he's going to be Deshaun Jackson, um, who was a good fantasy player. 
Um, I don't think he's going to be someone that produces top 24 seasons in the NFL for fantasy purposes. That's who I think he's going to be. That doesn't mean I think he's bad. That doesn't mean I think he was bad in uh, Alabama. I think he was incredibly good at what he did. He was an incredible benefit to that team. And if you look through points per game, for example, which is the way I did it for DLF, he was highly productive in a wide receiver three role. But wide receiver three is going to the NFL like I say, they don't become top 24 wide receivers. They don't become top 12 wide receivers, like at all, ever. The best example is like Brian Quick, I think, was a wide receiver one when he was uh, three when he was drafted and had some fantasy significance for a little while. But that's it. That's the entire list that that I found. Now, Brian Quick plays drastically differently to Henry Ruggs, and that's where we get into the team split, and that's where we go back to he even with the team split i can't reasonably adjust him enough to consider him a potential top 24 player that doesn't mean he's not going to be good in the nfl that doesn't mean a team's not going to find his skill set valuable he's incredibly fast how could an nfl team not value that but for fantasy we're looking for a very specific thing and i don't think he can dominate opportunity with that efficiency enough to become a fantasy relevant player and that means nothing that means nothing for his life it means nothing for the nfl it just matters to us playing this silly little game within a much bigger game and, and the thing the thing that i obviously if, if henry ruggs from a data perspective if henry ruggs hits he's going to be a for sure outlier and the same with the same with judy i mean yeah that's fair. the offense that they had in alabama is probably you know, I, I know a lot on Twitter you compare Jarvis Landry and, and Odell Beckham. Um, and obviously their quarterback was a little different than, than, than Tua. But the offense that they had in Alabama with so many top-rated prospects. I mean, you're talking about Jerry Judy, uh, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, Devonta Smith, Najee Harris. I mean, the list goes on and on, the talent that this team had. And yeah, I would buy that argument more if anyone wanted to draft Devontae Smith in their first round next year. No one does. Yeah. Like so many players are high rated and then they prove not to be by the time we get to the NFL. Like we can't start with the conclusion that these are all good players. Jerry Judy looks good. Henry Ruggs, not so much. Devontae Smith, not so much. At an NFL level, we don't think they're that highly rated. But again, like we said before about running backs, the NFL is going to tell us that with draft capital. And Henry Ruggs has first-round buzz. But, you know, plenty of players with an impressive physical profile, like you pointed out, get that without succeeding. I, I just need it to be paired with production. And, and yeah. if I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss. <laughs> right. And, and and the thing about Henry Ruggs is, just like Hollywood Brown last year, right, he didn't go through the combine. He had the, the Liz Frank injury. So there were early drafts that I participated in. Marquise Brown was going in the first round. But right. as the year went on and all these other players started getting buzz and buzz and buzz, Hollywood was dropping to the second, third. I even saw him going in the fourth round because people just forgot about him because he hadn't right. done anything. Now, the thing about those fast wide receivers like Marquise Brown, Henry, Henry Ruggs, is they seem to have a lot of those soft tissue injuries because they're so fast right, the hamstring injuries, um, that could be a red flag. But there's two things that I, that I want you to know about Henry Ruggs or Alabama before we move on. And this could be a knock against Tua, but if you look at Tua Tag Tagovailoa's career at Alabama, out of his, I think he had 600, 500 uh, attempts, 
of Tua's attempts were his first read. The majority of his passes were to his first read. Now, that could be a knock on him because when you go to the NFL level, you're not going to be able to hit your first guy all the time. But that shows the talent of the receivers that he had. If Judy was his first read, he was going to Judy. If Waddle was his first read, he was going to Waddle. If Henry Ruggs wasn't his first read, he wasn't going to Henry Ruggs, basically, because 18% of his attempts were his second read. So that means... Ruggs either needed to be first or second, or basically Ruggs wasn't even saying the football. And, you know, obviously there's there's queued up passes, right? When you're going deep, right, he's going to be the first read, obviously. So that that right there is something that I, that I want to dive into and see, all right, could Henry have been a, a much bigger player on a team like Oklahoma when Hollywood Brown was there, when he was the guy, right? He was the guy. The other thing I want you to know is that Steve Sarkeesian was Alabama's offensive coordinator last year. His first year, he, he was offensive coordinator for Alabama for one game. I think they lost to Clemson or LSU, and then he left. He came to the NFL. He went to become the offensive coordinator, coordinator at, at Atlanta, right? Did you know his first year as an offensive coordinator at Atlanta, Julio Jones had his lowest fantasy productive season when he played all 16 games? Even his rookie season, his rookie season, he only played 13 games, but his his rookie season, Julio Jones averaged 11 points per game. When Steve Sarkeesian's first year as an offensive coordinator, Julio Jones averaged 10 points per game and three touchdowns, right? The following year, everyone's like, why isn't Julio scoring? I'm sure you remember this because every fantasy mm-hmm. player is like, why isn't Julio Jones scoring, right? The next year, Steve Sarkeesian fed him the football, right? And he scored 207 points fantasy. But I think he had 163 fantasy points Sarkeesian's first year as offensive coordinator for Atlanta. So last year was Steve Sarkeesian's first year as Alabama's offensive coordinator, right? So the year before, Jerry Judy was the best wide receiver in the nation. Steve Sarkeesian comes in. He's got all these weapons at his disposal. He's got Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs, Najee Harris. You can take that how you want it. It could affect Judy. It could affect Ruggs. But the common denominator that I see is I don't know if Sarkeesian is a good offensive coordinator. So I, we got to take that into consideration when we're evaluating some of these players. That's fine, but what uh, Julio Jones was still the wide receiver one on his team. You he can't did. start off with the premise, Ruggs is no. Julio Jones, because then we don't have to go any further. <laughs> yeah, no, he, like, absolutely he still did. dominated target share. He still dominated production at the wide receiver position. And I just never seen Ruggs do that. Well, he, and, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Sarkeesian was there... Mohamed Sanu ended up with 700 yards. I think it was one of his best seasons. He had 700 yards. He had more touchdowns than Julio. For some reason, Sarkeesian didn't want to throw Julio the ball when they got down the end zone, so I don't know what that is. Yeah, but Jerry Judy, if we're making a comparison there, that that would mean Jerry Judy was playing, you know, um, the name literally just jumped out of my head, the, the Sanu role, and Ruggs was playing the Julio role, so why was Ruggs so much less of the offense than Julio was? Because Julio was still dominating opportunity. No, and, and that's the thing. He just doesn't compare to players that have done well in the NFL or, or in college before. It's not like it can't happen. Um, and, you know, the offensive coordinator has an effect, obviously. But, like, every it, it didn't show out. Right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. The production is not there. And that's the thing about Henry Ruggs. There's absolutely no production, right? Uh, and I'm not saying that, you know, he's playing the Julio role or, or Judy is. I'm just saying that. I notice when Sarkeesian takes over an offense, he almost doesn't even know what he has, 
Um, yeah, maybe. And, and Sanu was more involved than he's ever been when Sarkeesian was there. So, you know, it could be irrelevant. But, but the part it, we think that players have more control over is the amount of opportunity within the wide receiver position that they're able to achieve. And, and Ruggs just didn't separate himself that way. Now, there are there are positive things. Like Henry Ruggs' touchdown total is phenomenal. And that's why his points per game show out so well for him. And again, he was an incredibly productive part of that offense. If he hits, that's what we'll be pointing to. Like, he was so productive on limited touches that we should have valued him. But that's not predictive. And all I mean by that is, if we try to do that again for another player, it wouldn't work. So maybe Henry Ruggs is a singular player. And that's why if he gets drafted in the first round, like you said, Marcus Brown, you shouldn't let him drop to the fourth round. You've got to value the NFL uh, draft capital right. they're going to give him opportunity and i'm not going to not draft him if he's taken in the first round in the nfl draft i'm going to draft him like just to be clear on that for any data nerds out there listening to me we should draft him if he goes in the first round okay and right. um, it's just going to be it's going to be a harder role he's never played a wide receiver one he's never shown the ability to dominate target share and again i mean we like jerry judy but we don't like smith that much no matter how much he was rated when he came into college we don't think he's looking like a good nfl prospect at this point and when you adjust for that you've got to ask yourself why he wasn't targeted more why he wasn't the first or second wide receiver target um on those reads more often than a player that we don't think is as good and um, doesn't mean there's not a reason uh, and it might be the offensive coordinator like you said it's just you're betting that you know more uh, than the staff that was choosing who was the wide receiver one and two on those reads. And that's a difficult position for me, for someone like me, who's just, you know, a guy in his basement um, <laughs> to make, you know, like I, I, I think they have probably a little more to say about football than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're absolutely right. I mean, Henry Ruggs makes none of my, my model. I mean, it's, He's basically not even included, and if he hits, he's going to be an outlier, but I just can't believe he's not going to be relevant at some point in his career, um, whether he's the best, right, whether he's a best ball asset or, you know, like you said, I I can't imagine he's going to be, you know, an every week player, and again, someone in your draft is going to love him, right? They're going to take him way sooner than probably you or me, Right. Um, but if he falls to like that second round, don't let all this noise have you pass him right right exactly if he hits That's the what second round in your fantasy drafts but he's drafting the first round he better be a smash you know draft because whether or not he had the production he's got the athletic ability and the draft capital to where he's going to have some positive games and some uh, you know a positive point in his career but i've i've had a blast with you i think we're going to just have to sit around and string and talk football <laughs> But uh, I'm going to let you go. I mean, we've already probably been on this. Uh, let me see. We've already disconnected twice. So we're on a <laughs> and a half, which is great. This is great because I've learned a lot from you. And, um, you know, I'm still addicted to your Twitter timeline. So I'm going to, you know, check that every single day. Uh, <laughs> before we turn the lights out in the lounge, right, it's last call, l- remind, remind the listeners where we can find you. What are some things that you're working on? Again, you're on the Dynasty Crossroads podcast. What are some things that we can do to find you um, talk about your, your models available for people to download. Give us all that good information. People that, that aren't familiar with you, which if they're listening to me, they should be. Um, but if they're not, if they find us on YouTube and they don't know, you know, who Peter Howard is and the Homer Simpson avatar, tell us what we can expect. If we come find you on Twitter. 
I, I don't know, man. Sarcasm? Um, <laughs> I try to post as much free data as I can because, you know, that's the only way I get access to it as well. And I'm willing to do the legwork so whether people can maybe take a swing at this and call some people some uh, names or tell them they're wrong on prospects because we're just trying to have fun, especially right now, man. Um, just trying to get get off fun in where we can. So that's what I do on Twitter. I try and post data where I can. I try and help out with the things that I've found, but also give you everything I've, I've found to decide that so you can disagree with me, rightly or wrongly, as you see fit. Um, and the rest of the time, I'm just, you know, chatting about football and having fun. That's all I do <laughs> on I, Twitter. Um, welcome in if you want. And I, and, I, and I love it. And, you know, people might knock us for not liking rugs or for me not liking C.D. Lamb or J.K. Dobbins. You know, it is what it is, right? We're just having a good time. We have our own processes. And each step along the way is you just want to improve your process and get better, right? If, if Henry Ruggs is an outlier, we change our database next year and say, okay, well, maybe we need to look at things a little differently. But um, I appreciate you taking the time to come into the lounge. Drink your Wild Turkey 101. I got my Weller 107. <laughs> I might have to send you some of this since you can't find it over there in Kentucky. Um, can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you away. So let's let's finish the podcast with a final question. Just something we can just end it with and hit the music. Give me a wild take. You're looking at your database. People are talking <laughs> on Twitter. Give me something on a prospect based on your data compared to other classes of what might happen in this class? Oh, hell, I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know what people expect might happen, but I think there are a lot less top 25 seasons in this draft class than there will be coming from the 2018 draft class, wide receivers. What do you think about um, JJ Arcega Whiteside? I know he like hit he hits all the the data metrics, but he fucking sucked last year. <laughs>